0: Produced at the studios of KBOO Radio in Portland, Oregon, this is Free Culture Radio. Free Culture Radio neither promotes the use of any drugs nor condemns people for being involved in drugs. To the extent that drug use presents problems for individuals or society, those problems are made worse and more intractable when people who use drugs are treated as others and ignored, stigmatized, and even brutalized. The city of San Francisco is continuing to consider whether to open safe consumption sites. The euphemism they use is wellness hubs. Some call them overdose prevention centers or community health engagement locations. They're places where people go and they don't die of overdose, and they don't die from toxins in the supply of street drugs. Whatever you call them, they save lives. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors Budget and Finance Committee held a hearing on the subject on January 11th. We're going to hear a portion of that on today's show. Sam Rivera is the executive director of On Point NYC, the nation's first legally authorized above-ground supervised consumption site in the U.S.
1: Thank you so much for for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here uh, to support uh, what people keep accusing you of already doing. (laughs) So I was telling somebody earlier, that um, every time we talked about opening, having the first two OPCs, they said, oh, but San Francisco already did it, right? And we're like, no, they didn't. <laughs> but, um, but it, you know, so it speaks to a lot of why I'm here and why um, what I need to say and what I want to share with you um, about what we've done over this last year, the impact we've had, the, how are you? <laughs> the, um, uh, a lot of the things people thought were going to happen and then what actually happened. Uh, so it's an, it's an important conversation to have. So on November 30th of last year, we opened the first two overdose prevention centers, safe consumption sites in the country. When I say we, I don't mean on point. I mean everyone who's um, ever lost somebody to an overdose, anyone who's ever uh, used drugs themselves, these amazing harm reductionists here, It was important for us to look at this opening as a victory for anyone and everyone who's ever used drugs, and especially those of us fighting in harm reduction for years and years to finally open one of these. So we celebrated that with with everyone. When we opened, before we opened, we put a candle at every booth for those who didn't get the chance to be with us. And what we know is if you use an OPC, you don't have to die, it's just a fact. And you can have your opinions and feelings around them. But the fact is, you don't have to die if you use an OPC. And that fact is 36, 37 years old. Um, I've been doing a number of different, you are my bio, sometimes I hear it and wonder who you're talking about. But I've been doing this work for a long time, three decades. And harm reduction is the epitome of love, It's the epitome of meeting people where they're at. Uh, that became a cliche for many providers in this work, in different work, in the community. We meet them where they're at, but they have to—they can't use that much, or they have to do this, or they have to show up like this. Then you're not meeting people where they're at. Harm reduction is the epitome of it, the epitome of meeting people and loving on them until they're ready to love on themselves. Truly being there at a time when they need you more than ever, at the most crucial time in their lives, is, is when harm reduction shows up. Um, we know that safe consumption sites is a health intervention. You know, and this is why language matters, right? I love the fact that you guys are talking about them as these hubs and health hubs and putting some positivity to it. Um, they don't have to be called drug use or something. Uh, drug use is one part of a person. It's not who they are. We shouldn't be identifying people in that way every time we talk about them. And what I say to people is if, if you think of the worst thing you've ever done in your life, and that's how we address you every time we see you, what would that feel like, all right? So how about calling people by their names and, and not by what we think of them? So when you start to experience that and have those relationships with people who are literally uh, in, in, in the depths of, of, of struggle, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. I'm blessed, I'm really blessed to have the amazing, most amazing staff on the planet who show up every day just to love on people because in any way possible and not judge them, and and, and and not to experience them in the way that other people do. Um, one of the biggest things I love, Alex talked about it, is harm reduction reduces use, and people don't get it. It truly does, and I'll talk briefly about what happens in the room. Let me back up a little bit. When you come in to, to utilize the OPC, many people think when you open a door to our site, you're gonna open it, and there's just a bunch of people using drugs. It's not the case at all. You open the door, you come in, it's a drop-in center. People having coffee, watching a movie, meeting with a mental health professional, doing a variety of things, uh, preparing to go see a medical provider. Um, it's not. That's not what it is. It's one part of a larger organization. It's one part of an array of services that people need. Um, so when you come in, if you're going to use the site, we ask you a set of questions every time. Um, and it's important data to get. Like where would you use if we weren't open? Have you had any police contact? What does that look like? Any updates with family? Anything like that, children. Um, and that stuff is gathered and is important because what we know is if you don't have a safe consumption site, you have open air use. You have people using uh, quickly, really ge- dangerously in an alley, in a bathroom, and things like that. So gathering that information is really important. Well when someone enters the room uh, to use, they, they, we know how much they're using and how they're using it. And what we see, and Kaylin C., our senior director of programs, says the drug use in the room is the least interesting thing that happens because there's a community that happens in that room. There's, there are conversations going on. When we first opened, we allow people, we still have them, to use screens if, because they said to us they were embarrassed to use in front of us. They felt like it was gross and they didn't want to do that. And eventually he got comfortable. And we have these mirrors at every booth. And especially women didn't want to look at those mirrors. They didn't want to look at themselves. They were embarrassed. Today when I walk in those rooms, the same women are putting makeup on, using that mirror in that way. Having a relationship with themselves they never had before. And so watching that change is amazing. Um, (laughs) I hope I get an excuse for this. But for a a few months I thanked uh, Will Smith for smacking Chris Rock. Because that was the conversation that went on in that room, and people arguing their point, and like I'm not. Gonna, I came in to use two bags, but I'm gonna use one because I got to get my point across and what I think should happen. And then from there, the conversation about well, I want to talk to tonight staff, the night staff about it. So even less use. So having that community and that environment of feeling of I have a place to go. I just remembered minutes ago. That um, before I came, before I came here, I went to the office the other day, and there was a guy sitting there who had one of the most difficult overdoses we've had since we opened the OPC. And I happened to be in there, and I sat down waiting for him to come out, and it took it felt long for us, because the way we respond now it's so fast. And when he came out of it, I was sitting there, he, I was on the floor with him, and he looked at me and said, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> I said, "Well, you know, you, you overdose. I'm just here holding some space for you." And he, 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 was, you know, he kind of went through a lot of feelings. And he is a person who relapsed during COVID. And he said, I, I don't want to do it differently. I want to change. All right? But I'm not really changed yet. I'm going to come back a few more days, but I'm going to change. And then I didn't see him for a while. I saw him for a little bit, then he was gone. And the other day I walked in, he's sitting in the front, just sitting there, you know in, inside, but, but by the coffee spot. And, and I said hello to him. I said, how are you doing? He says, I'm sitting here. And I said, "Okay, is everything all right? He said, yeah, I get to sit here now and not use the OPC. Like, it's kind of cool. I want to just sit here. And he does it for him to feel proud that he can actually be in our space, know what he needs to do if he wants to get drugs, but not use the OPC. And then I said, well, what is it you want to do? And he said, well, I'm going to work for you. So I'm waiting for his resume. (laughs) Hopefully I'll hire him. but, like, those are the moments, right? Those are the, the, the anecdotal moments of, of these relationships we have with people that are just beautiful. And as I go through this, I, I want you to please remember who I'm talking about. Um, and when I go through numbers, but when I think of data, I see these beautiful, kind hearted people who just want to be different, who want an opportunity to live. And you said it dead, dead users don't, don't, don't recover. 100%. And I hear it every day. Send them to detox, send them to treatment. 100% of our participants have been to detox and treatment multiple times. It doesn't mean it doesn't work, but we're clear that it doesn't work the first time for most people, and for many people, it doesn't work the sixth or seventh time. But if they're not alive, they don't get the eighth time. And that's what we offer. We offer them an opportunity to go back again, right? We offer them an opportunity to go back without having to be mandated, but to go on their own when they're ready and willing. To re, to, what we see with our participants is this shift when we start talking about why do you use? And we ask them, why do you use? I'm a loser, I'm a bum, I'm lazy. No, let's talk about, let's get to the core of why you use. I have a mental health condition. I've, been, I've, I've dealt with some trauma. I don't know how to handle this. I have many, many good friends. My brother's t- 30 years in, in recovery. And um, one of the things I would, he and I have these nice little battles sometimes. And I tell him, my concern with your group is when you meet, you tell people, you bring up Bob, and Bob says, I stopped using, and I own a house, and 2.5 kids, and a dog, and a whatever, and if you stop using, you could get it too, and then Bob stops using, and he's in his living room shaking. Where's my dog, and where's my 2.5 kids, and where's this house that I was supposed to get, and no one talks about what, what else happened. Bob didn't just start use, stop using it his life change. It takes much more work than that. And some people will self-medicate as long as it takes. And some people will, will manage their recovery the way they manage it. right? And so we have people who used to use heroin or what have you or crack cocaine who now drink at a bar and it's okay. So there's judgment within that.
0: You're listening to Sam Rivera, Executive Director of On Point NYC, speaking before the Budget and Finance Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors at its January 11th hearing, which examined supervised consumption sites. We'll hear the rest of his testimony in a moment. You're listening to Free Culture Radio. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. Let's hear more from Sam Rivera, Executive Director of On Point NYC.
1: I'll say quickly, we talk about the Krakow statute. It's simple in many ways. The minute you take cocaine and call it crack. You're talking about black and brown and poor white people. It's intentional. Why isn't it called the cocaine statute? Right? We look at those things. There's an impact within that. Um, I want to talk about quickly about some relationships. I like to say, and it feels good to say this because it's my own experience in life, our number one relationship is with the NYPD. <laughs> and um, uh, it's important to say it. If it's truth, it's truth. And I'll give you a little bit. I'll give you some quick examples. So when we were going to open a site, we wanted the commissioner of the police department to put a public statement and they laughed at us. But we tried because, you know, they said, listen, you're in two two neighborhoods, two precincts. Let's just stick to those two. So, okay, I'll back. I have to back up a little bit. we also got four of the five D.A.s to sign off. And what that means is it supports the police because if the police were to go ahead and make these arrests anyway, the way they were making them before for someone using drugs, the DA's already told you they're not going to prosecute. So let's not waste our time. Let's figure out a better way to work with folks. Initially, the police department was a little confused. We had a decent relationship. This is very different. We we talked to them about the difference being... You know, I actually went to their book and read what they, what they say they do to the, for the community and, and reviewed it with them. And said, so here's the piece where you're supposed to serve people who are in need. And here's what we'd like you to do. Instead of arresting them, go to them and offer them an opportunity to come to our site. And they started to do it, and it really started to work. And then they had a problem because when they would go up to them, sometimes they would take off and run, thinking they're going to be arrested. The police came back to us and asked us to create a card. We didn't come up with this idea, they did, to create a card so they can hand to a user while they're using and say, listen, I'm here to escort you or tell you don't use it in public, go to On Point and use that On Point. And it worked, and it's still working. Uh, Many of my staff and I uh, went over and spoke to them during their roll call, get information and updates, check in on each other. Uh, when Kaelin and the team went to speak to uh, some of the, both precincts and offered them an opportunity to come look at the site, we were shocked. Every officer and roll call came at different times, and it's important to see the site. and I hope you watched the video because taking a look at what happens inside is very different. And when those police officers came and visited, it changed their minds completely, and they saw the need for these sites. They also spend time outside, and they see people leaving outside and getting in a van to go to detox, right? So it's, 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 it's our responsibility to respond to the need. As harm reductionists, we don't talk about treatment and detox. We don't. As harm reductionists, our participants talk about treatment and detox every day. They talk about it. Shoving it down their throat is not the answer. Loving on them, in a compassionate, love, in just a, a beautiful, fluid way is what works. And that's when we see the change. And that's when we see them asking for more. Um, so our relationship with NYPD is amazing. We I just met with seven NCOs to talk about what's happening in the community. One of the biggest uh, changes we had recently was led by the NYPD. Uh, we had an issue in a park. We didn't know about it. They found out about it. In the past, I got a call from the um, uh, from, from a captain who said in the past they would send a team in and basically arrest everybody in this, uh, in this uh, encampment. Instead, they asked us to go. They said, we're having overdoses. We're not going to send our team. You guys go. We met with our team. We switched from 9 a.m. to 8 to 6 a.m. opening overnight. Our outreach and public safety team immediately changed their schedule and went to the park at 6 a.m. Our drop in center team opened at 6 a.m. and our overdose prevention center opened at 6 a.m. Led by a captain in the precinct. (laughs) Not us, they thought we did. I'm like, quite frankly, I didn't know. If it wasn't for the commanding officer, we wouldn't even know this was an issue. That's a partnership. That's what can happen. That's a relationship with the NYPD almost nobody has. And why is, why is is what's the difference between San Francisco and New York in that way? There doesn't have to be, and we know that. Um, quickly, with parks, you heard on the video, 13,000 syringes a month collected in one park every month. A month after we opened, 1,000 syringes. Where's the other 12,000? They're with us. That quickly. That same park across the street from our Washington Heights Corner Project site, our Washington Heights site, rather, there's a small park in the corner for children. It's been closed for years. Simultaneously, eight months after we opened, that park opened for the first time in the summer and children were there playing. And when some of our participants were going to that park to use the bathroom or something, the park would call us and say, hey, one of your guys are here, do you mind coming over? Not call the police like they used to. That's a relationship. Um, (laughs) Fentanyl, we have have a spectrometer we we test. We'll see five to 9%, five to 9%. We're getting as high as 23%. Twenty three. That means when people and, and, and of all these uh, tests we did, only one person once said I won't use. When they see those high rates, they say, I'm still going to use, but I'm going to go inside and work with the staff and use, use it differently. Take test shots. What we know is getting even more dangerous today is because of what's happening with the drug supply, you're almost going to need OPCs. Because if you're not there in the moment someone overdoses, that's it. We've had a number of overdoses in the OPC that if it didn't happen in front of us, they would die. And last, and two weeks ago, we lost two of our daily participants who overdosed during times we were closed, who didn't have to die. But we're not open 24 hours a day yet. Um, My favorite data point is zero. No one's died. Zero. 2,300 participants registered 54,000 utilizations 54,000 times people use drugs in our space not in the community the way the community asked for we want less use in the street less use in our public parks 54,000 times over 700 overdose interventions and the earrings i'm wearing are naloxone which we use in the room to over to reverse an overdose. So I'm wearing two lives in my ears today and I'm proud to do that. Um, and and um, yeah, <laughs> and who are these people? Beautiful mothers, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, kind-hearted folks who want a chance, who want a shot, many who are friends of mine, many who use harm reduction for many years to get their lives together. Um, and I ended with a couple of other things. You guys talk about the New York model and I really hear what you mean by the New York model. <laughs> Everywhere else I go, and they say the New York model, they're talking about uh, uh, how we do it and the structure and everything. When I hear it in San Francisco, I, I, it's like I have the, the New York Jewish moment, like, aha, I get it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and so when, when you guys talk about the, the New York model, you're talking about safety for, for your staff and for the city and for the uh, health, uh, health department staff. And there is an opportunity to maintain that, because here's the the thing about the New York model. Yes, currently, we, I, the staff, the exec team, I mainly, um, at our point are the ones that were at risk if something were to happen. The sky didn't fall, Paul, right? Nothing. All these things they said were going to happen didn't happen. We've had those visitors, by the way, those visitors who were going to come and shut us down. And they said, you guys are amazing off the record. This is amazing what you're doing. I have nothing to say, but can we have some guardrails? I'm like, sure, we could get from a bowling alley. We'll put them up if that's what works for you. What do we do to make sure we do it correctly? Correctly, you just said it was great, right? All of the things that people said would happen and what would happen and and how I was going to get arrested and we were going to get shut down, it's a different time. And while the president and Raul Gupta, the head of ONDCP, isn't talking about enough about what they're going to do to get it right, they're definitely not talking about shutting it down either. And we need to focus on that. So yes, the New York model offers that opportunity. And in fact, right now we're negotiating the New York model to say use your opioid dollars. They're not tax-levy money. They cannot put your jurisdiction at risk. They're part of a lawsuit for you to use at your discretion. That's what that money is. It has nothing to do, I had a city official say to me, if we use this money to fund you, it's an, illegal, it's, a legal, it's an illegal activity and we could be defunded. Yeah, legally you can. The government's not gonna defund a city like, like San Francisco or New York. But here we go. Opioid settlement dollars have nothing to do with that pot. They're the safest money to use. In fact, they were created for us and for our people who are dying unnecessarily. So you have the opportunity to do that. I'll say one more thing, two more things, and I'll get out of your way. In addition to that, since we opened, 1.7 million units of hazardous waste have been collected by us. Again, not in the streets, in two neighborhoods. In New York City, when the city responds to an overdose, it's an average cost of $30,000. 30000 between the amount of Narcan they use and keeping them in the hospital for most of the day, the other services they provide while they're in the hospital, who shows up to the overdose, fire department, police department, EMS, et cetera. And if we look at that number, we called an ambulance 10 times, that's it. Nothing to do with the overdose, had to do with other conditions we were concerned about. So roughly 690 times $30,000. That's how much we saved in two neighborhoods in one year. It cost us $4.3 million to run them both for 24 hours a day. I mean, the money's there, sitting there. That's the reality of the work we do. That's the reality of the outcomes uh, we can have in this work. And so the last thing I'll say is this. I was asked earlier, what advice would you give San Francisco? And it was... Kind of funny, I said, just be San Francisco. And no, and I and I'll tell you what I mean. I mean this. Like this is why I start off by saying so many people thought San Francisco did it first because <laughs> I can't curse. You guys are bad, you know. Um, you know that's what you've been known as like taking that risk and being out there a little extra and being and going for things a little differently and taking you know going out there and representing your communities the way no other city has, really. So when people get confused and say, I thought San Francisco opened first, it's almost a compliment when they say that. So my advice to San Francisco is be San Francisco, step up and do what you know is right and is in your hearts. Represent your people, love on them the way they want to be loved on and and be San Francisco, man. Uh, Thank you.
0: That was Sam Rivera, Executive Director of On Point NYC, speaking to the Budget and Finance Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors on January 11th at their hearing on supervised consumption sites. There was time for questions at the end of this hearing, both from supervisors and from officials from various city offices. Diana oliva Arroche is the Director of Policy and Public Affairs for the San Francisco Police Department. Uh,
1: Mr. Rivera, just a couple of other questions you mentioned, um, and I think this is really important, that your number one partnership was law enforcement. Can you talk a little bit more? I know we've already asked you a question, but I'm curious about what that really means for a service provider, someone leading this work. Yeah. How, does that, how does becoming the first partnership uh, kind of look like, and how did that happen? Yeah, um, we, you know, we knew it would be crucial for that relationship to um, to be healthy, um, but we didn't we didn't expect the the reaction and uh, the real the, the the real partnership like asking us do we know about an issue happening here uh, for instance we do a bad batch alert so if we see that people are overdosing to a certain bag of uh, of heroin as an example we alert the community and we started to alert the police too. Because of how they dealt with it. It didn't mean it led to arrest. It literally led to them talking to people. Like we watch police officers walk up to a group of people and talk to them about their use. And talk to them about where they should go instead. And, you know, community policing and the way it should be done. Where, you know what, here's the option for you. Now you have a place you can go. Uh, I just had a meeting two weeks ago with a few MCOs. Um who were having some issues in the community and wanted to talk to me about it because there might be some changes and they didn't, they wanted to make sure we were still okay in the relationship. When has that like ever happened in my 30 years? Um, but it was, and it was fine and then we, we monitor each other and we talk to each other about how to do it. They had a large recruitment, new, re, new rookies come in. They told us you have to come in, and, and talk to them again because they're coming in from, from, from training and they have their ideas. Um, so it'd be great for them to talk to you right away. Um, but for me, it really grew because they saw what it did for them, and that's what they told us. Police officers told us it's easier now. I don't have to deal with somebody the way I used to. I can actually talk to people, um, and it's a, you know it's tough. I'm sure it's tough work. It's got to be on the ground. I mean, we're in Harlem, East Harlem, and, and Washington Heights. Uh, and you know, one of the things that I also want to tell people before you open, because I know you will, that it's important to capture what the front of whatever space it is looks like, and then look at it after you open. And I pushed that really hard before we opened because we're on 126th Street in East Harlem. Beautiful, loving area, but that one block is a fairly hot block. It's been like that for years. So I knew that after we opened, they would say, well, look what you did, all right? So it was important to capture that before we open. If you look at our other site, 180th in Amsterdam, very quiet. So we, didn't, we don't bring the theory that more drug dealers come and we bring all this. It's just not true because if that was the case, why, why do we have two sites that look very different? So it's really about where you're located and what it brings. And I even said to someone here, it'd be great because my understanding is you're looking at a completely new site to look at what, what impacts it has in, those, in, that, in that community. And I think what you're going to learn is that it doesn't bring more of the negativity. And I think when the police saw that, It mattered to them. Like, wait a minute, we don't have more drug dealers. We don't have more of this stuff we were told to be prepared for. And then um, it it grew our relationship. And and communication was key. We spoke all the time. We still speak all the time. Um, Like for me to be able to email a chief and say, can you present today? And can I text you if you can present today? And apologizes because they're not available. That's a partnership to me, a very healthy one. Thank you for that. Uh, We're looking forward to being able to partner. Hopefully we'll continue moving forward. Just in behalf of Chief Scott, just wanted to say thank you you. and then also share that we're absolutely 100% in on something like this.
0: That was Diana Oliva Roche, Director of Policy and Public Affairs for the San Francisco Police Department, asking questions of Sam Rivera, Executive Director of On Point NYC, the first legally authorized above ground supervised consumption site in the U.S. For now, that's it. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Free Culture Radio. I've been your host, Doug McVeigh. We'll be back in a month to continue our examination of drugs, drug cultures, and the influence of drugs on society. Thanks again for listening. This is Doug McVeigh saying so. Long. So long.